lot of the criticism for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is it's too slow. And we always, uh, we, we, we balked at this because we, Luke and I, for McKee's lecture uh, on TV, we broke down every episode of Breaking Bad. It was this monumentous thing that <laughs> took so long for us to do. But we did it together and we broke the whole thing down. Um, and it's part of his lecture now. Um, but we broke that thing down and the first episode, we did this in the podcast as well, has two acts, right? There's no, this moves very quickly, Breaking Bad. Better Call Saul people go, it's even slower. But what I described to you about the embezzler and the slipping Jimmy and all that stuff is the first three episodes. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Pedicle Soul. <laughs> I, I did the finger guns. You can't see them, but I did them. It's all good, man. Um, <laughs> welcome back. Hello. Soul. We're in, in your ear holes again today. Um, if you want to get in contact and uh, tell us what we have to talk about, no questions <laughs> asked, then um, I'm, that, that sounded a, a little creepier than, than I intended. It did, but also no questions asked. I mean, people can just literally yell a title at us. Yeah. And we have no idea what to talk about. About got, that thing. It's just, I didn't, just talk about that. <laughs> I forgot to tell you, I, I got an email from a guy, um, and I had to, I got an email from a guy um, who said, uh, I wanted to talk about this and this, and yeah, set up some payoffs, and I think you should talk about Attack on Titan. And I realised just, glancing down that I was halfway through the email and I immediately hit reply and said I'm so sorry I haven't read the rest of your email I got to attack on titan and stopped because I'm halfway through it and I don't want any accidental spoilers um yeah and he was very understanding of that so we will yeah. talk about attack that on that's titan. the point by the way because we are going to do uh, a podcast on attack on titan once Luke has finished season two and for those like okay Remember the Babylon 5 podcast where I went on about how great Babylon 5 is and a lot of you stopped listening to the podcast to watch the show and then watch the podcast? Yeah, Attack on Titan's the same. You have to watch Attack on Titan. This is your homework. Yeah, homework. In a few episodes' time, we'll be doing Attack on Titan. Yeah. Watch it. Watch Attack on Titan. (laughs) Um, But yeah, if you want to get in contact, um, spoiler free, uh, at the Story (laughs) Toolkit on Twitter. (laughs) And through the website, you can hit the little contact button, and that emails me direct. Um, it bypasses Bass because he's it does. Um, uh, a miser. And um, <laughs> uh, but this, the website is the Story Toolkit. WordPress. That's not what miser means. What does miser mean? Miser is someone who's really uh, like thrifty with money. And I meant oh, misanthrope. Yeah, I made that mistake in the Logan podcast, which is why you're making that mistake. Now. <laughs> really? that's, that, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. I said I said miser, corrected myself, went, oh, no, that's not it. And you've made the exact same mistake. Yeah. Amazing. Because I want to be you. <laughs> that's such a lie. <laughs> that's such an unbelievable lie. Better call Saul. Hit it. Okay, better call Saul. So better call Saul... Actually, yeah, Better Call Saul. Spoilers, go watch Better Call Saul. <laughs> if you haven't watched Better Call Saul, it's your own fault. Um, and you should now. Right. Because Better Call Saul is amazing. So go watch it. You said 
a few weeks ago, I remember, it was actually during um, season three, because they were releasing episodes weekly, Yes, and this is just not how I consume television anymore. It's not tolerable. No. Um, um, and we tried to hold so... off, we tried to hold off until all ten were up, and, and Hannah and I, when it got to about three or four, uh, we had nothing else to watch at that time, so we are like, okay, we'll just kill tonight until, you know, a good movie comes out at the weekend or something, we'll just watch an episode... Just to tide us over. Four. Done. Yeah. Um, That's it. Yep. Uh, That's it. And you said it is the best show on television. um, Yeah, okay. My two favourite shows, without a doubt at the moment, are Better Call Saul and Attack on Titan. That's it. And it's no surprise. Actually, it might be linked to the fact that they air once a week. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Maybe that's part of it. Um, But I doubt it. Um... It, the, I don't the, know. Flash airs once a week. I've heard you talk about that. Why? Oh, t- <laughs> I'm trying to be positive, Luke. Don't don't bring it up. <laughs> it's just, I, the Flash movie is Flashpoint, Luke. It's Flashpoint. It's it. I can't. I can't. <laughs> flames I on the side of my face. He think flames it. Saul is very good. Let's go back <laughs> okay, to Saul. Move on. So I, I think it might be the best show on TV. I haven't seen the new season of House on Cards. House of Cards yet. Season five. I have. It's not as good as Saul. It's not as good as Saul. Okay. So Saul's the best show. Uh, and I compare that. I, I, I genuinely, as I, as I was saying, I think Better Call Saul is a more subtle, elegant version of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I'd not heard it described as elegant and, you, and used it just off mic. It is so perfect. Yeah. The description for the writing and the, the delivery. It is just beautiful. It, it It's like, hey, let's do Breaking Bad, but let's not have cancer. How do you motivate him? Right. Without the cancer. And and it's just... Um, I, I, and also, there's more going on in Saul than there was in Breaking Bad. Mm. because in Saul you've got we'll get into this you've got half a dozen storylines going on whereas in Breaking Bad everything is off Heisenberg mm. not the case of Saul and so Better Call Saul is just brilliant so Breaking Bad is the series that everyone knows and if you remember in Breaking Bad there was a character everyone loved played by Bob Odenkirk called Saul Goodman and they decided to do a prequel series about how Saul Goodman became Saul Goodman, um, because his name is not Saul Goodman. His real name is Jimmy McGill. And what's crazy about Better Call Saul is I actually don't call him Saul anymore. I call him Jimmy, <laughs> right? Because he hasn't he hasn't become Saul Goodman yet at all. And in season three, he makes his first appearance as Saul, doesn't he? He he. Season three is the first time he you see him call himself Saul Goodman since his. Slippin' Jimmy days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's wearing a disguise as he does it, and he's not Saul Goodman, the lawyer. And he hasn't become Saul, but more importantly, he hasn't become the person Saul Goodman is in Breaking no, Bad. I actually put on uh, an episode of Breaking Bad um, when I finished season three of, Saul, of Better Call Saul, and it was the No Half Measures, Walter episode mm. with Mike, right? And I watched it, and I went... Saul and Mike, or Jimmy and Mike, in Better Call Saul Season 3, are nowhere near this. They're nowhere near... They're still Walter White. They're not Heisenberg yet. Mm. Um, 
they're, they're just not there. They haven't done those things. Season four, I think, might move them quite a bit far along, maybe. But I don't know. Mm. And it's it's just captivating. And so the whole story takes place... Um, if I remember... What were you going to say? They didn't know at the start that's what the show was going to be. We'll no. talk more about this later. Yeah, we will. Because yeah. uh, Luke listened to a podcast on the writers, which is great, because uh, he can fill us in on stuff. Um, but saw Breaking Bad set in 2007, I think, if I remember correctly, because it came out in 2007, it was contemporary. So right. it set in 2007... It lasted five, six seasons, but the show took place over the course of one year. Uh, the last episode had a year-long gap. Mm. They jumped a year ahead. Yeah, so basically, I think it's two years, but I forget that it actually... It's only it's, it's uh, the penultimate episode, Granite State, yeah. uh, condenses a year in one episode. Yeah. So, um, so uh, Breaking Bad um, took place ex- almost exclusively in 2007, a little bit in 2008. Okay, even though it finished in 2014 or something. Uh, Better Call Saul is set in, if I remember correctly, 2002. Uh, so it's, it's, it starts five years from the start of Breaking Bad. And I'm not sure how much time has elapsed over the course of three seasons. Um, but there is an indication that they have... It's been... It, it's been... Some quite some time. It's it moves along quicker than Breaking Bad. Yeah, it doesn't. It I doesn't. Get the sense it's already been over a year. Yeah, I think. But so. you don't it get markers like, like Walt's birthday. And no, you don't get markers. But it feels like it's probably two thousand three now or something. Yeah. Um, so how long they're gonna? It's a big thing actually. How long medical Saul lasts? But basically, the show is about Saul, or rather Jimmy, and how Jimmy will become Saul Goodman. And the other main hook is how Mike Ehrmantraut is going to become Gus's fixer, the assassin that he becomes mm. in that he is in Breaking Bad. So it's a story about how Saul and Mike break bad, basically, right? It's how those characters broke bad. It seems. But without that episode one, you're going to die. Right. It has none of that stuff, and, and more importantly. Uh, the show is seemingly now mu- is not just that it's quite a bit more than that mm. in its own way um, and so we'll get into it but that's basically the premise of the show and um, yeah it's almost like not just how did Saul become how did Jimmy become Saul it's almost like how did the this Breaking Bad world become Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of gotten a bit bigger. It's than a that. world prequel. It's not a. Yeah, it's it's just there's it, there's more to it than Breaking Bad. It's crazy. Because that's crazy. one of the things that I find, uh, and again we'll get deeper into this, but one of the things I really love about Saul is just the world is so real, because they've taken like everything so consistent with Breaking Bad. Yeah. And characters making appearances, but the places they go to, you feel like you know this world. Yeah, we see it. And you trust the writers know it. Yeah, yeah. There's um. You you mentioned that this is what the writers did, and I suspected this was the case when I started watching it, which was they made a list of everything they knew about Saul. Yeah. And uh, and as I said, and as you said as well, like they not only made a list of everything, but where that you got it from, and uh, how reliable that source is, because um, you've got this thing of well, maybe someone was lying, 
Saul could be lying yeah. or something. So the bits, so, yeah, the bits, of, the, the the things you find out about these characters, yeah. backstories, right? Like you know, Mike's got a granddaughter. You see her granddaughter, right? You know, uh, again, spoilers. You know, Gus is going to get half his face blown off and he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know this. You know that. So there's certain things that can't be violated and certain things that might turn out to be just total lies. Mm. Um, and so you have to make... I, I mean, this was... I, I, the reason I, I had all this stuff in my head of how you would do a prequel is because uh, for how I was how I came up with my ideas for how you would do the Star Wars prequels, which was, you know, you just sit down, you make a list of everything that's true and then everything that could be lies that people think is true. Mm of the Star Wars films and then you start doing things and then you start trying to add layers to things like okay a character says a line but what can I say in the backstory that changes the meaning of that line mm. so it's not just what it meant on the surface how can you add subtext to things and so and on and that's that's the beauty of it like if you have all these things you've got all this ammunition and yeah. you can pick and choose and use them as you want and mm. the beauty of having a character like Saul is when he says stuff you know he's a liar. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff that could be real. Like we've already seen the Kevin Costner story play yes. out, um, which we is have. terrific. <laughs> but there's, but there, um, there's a bunch of other stuff he could have claimed happened in the past that didn't quite happen in that way. And I think part right. of the joy of Saul is seeing these things crop up. Yeah. And sometimes be as uh, as you'd imagine, sometimes slightly different. And also other things like um, uh, discovering that the cat we didn't see much of Saul's life and so there's all these kind of things we have to talk about like the fact that he has a brother right um and uh that he has uh people like Kim yeah. and the law firm that he worked for etc etc i remember watching uh Frasier which was set after cheers obviously hmm. but um Frasier's mother is dead in Frasier but she was alive in cheers she's in an episode of cheers and his father was dead in Cheers. He said his dad was dead. Right. So there's an episode where Sam shows up at Frasier. Uh, he meets Martin Crane, Frasier's dad. And he goes, nice to meet you. And he goes, I bet you he told you a lot about me in the bar back in Boston. And Sam goes, he said you were dead, sir. <laughs> and Martin just looks at Frasier and he goes, we had an argument on the phone. I was very angry with you. <laughs> just like, okay. So there's... there's <laughs> There's, there's a kind of like I mean also it's a comedy that show yeah. but there, there was this thing of like okay there's certain things you presume to be true about somebody but then you discover that the person was lying they were making stuff up and and so having that list of these are things we definitely can't violate and these are things that mm. are possibly violating and whatnot so um, the, the podcast I listened to I believe it was a writer's panel podcast because um, mm. there, there were there was a bunch of them and it was set set it was it was recorded i think they'd just done season one but they talked a little bit about the the genesis of the show and the fact that when um uh, uh in fact michael mckean was on the podcast mm. uh, yeah and he he's, he's so good he's very very funny he's so good as um but they did. They didn't know what kind of show it was going to be. They thought it might be a half an hour, um, uh, not procedural, but like a case, but a case of the week right. kind of show. Like this is Saul being a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, and I think eventually Netflix came along and they had suddenly this freedom to yep. do exactly what you know, no, no meddling. Right. Um, it's just great. Yeah. So I mean, maybe we should go through the basic beats of the show. 
just to remind everyone, because I presume you've seen it. <laughs> so uh, we'll just go through the basic beats of the show. To yeah, remind keep, people, them like, big, keep them big, though, because it's three seasons. Oh, it? yeah, just big. So if I remember correctly, the way it starts is Saul um, passes the... He works in the mailroom for his brother's law company, mm-hmm. and he passes the bar, so he's finally a lawyer. And he passed the bar while working in the mailroom. So he went to night school and he put himself through night school and all that stuff. And he passes the bar, becomes a lawyer, but he's he's down on his luck. He's he's a law, he's working on his own law firm and everything. Uh, it's just him. He works in a in a closet basically, out of a closet at the back of one of those sort of nail salons, pedicure mm-hmm. salons. Uh, he's got nothing. He's got a car where one of the doors is the wrong color because clearly it's been replaced. It doesn't start. He's got no money, nothing. Uh, but his brother is this big time lawyer who is currently not really practicing because he lives in a house um, because he's allergic to electricity. Uh, he, he, he claims that any electromagnetic fields uh, causes him enormous discomfort and pain. And so he can't be around places with things like electric lights and phones. So he lives by gaslight in a house. Uh, all by himself and so and Jimmy looks after him uh, Jimmy McGill Saul he looks after him and he's trying to do the law stuff and his brother is like saying look you are you used to be slipping Jimmy that's what he used to have a nickname which was he was a con artist and used to do all kinds of cons okay and he's like you have to be patient you have to put in the work as a public defender you don't and like so sort so, Jimmy's getting paid almost nothing and he's working his ass off all the time as this sort of public defender lawyer. And he hears of a case where a guy has embezzled a bunch of money. He stole a bunch of money from a company. And uh, his brother's law firm is going to get the case, but he wants the case. And he tries to get the case and he can't get the case. And he's thinking, you know, how can I get the case? And he comes up with the idea of doing an insurance scam. He finds these two kids that jump in front of his car. You know, they do that insurance scam thing mm-hmm. to get in front of the car. Uh, and they claim that you drove into them so you get money and all that stuff. And he go, and he basically goes, look, I'm better at this than you. And how much do you get paid? That's pathetic. How about this? And so his plan is they jump in front of the embezzler's car and he comes to the rescue, uh, Jimmy, as a lawyer. And that's how he gets the retainer to look after them in this big case that will propel him to getting his own law firm and so on. And uh, they jump out in front of the car but they make a mistake. It's not that car. It's someone else's car. And that car drives off. They don't stop. They chase that person down. It's an old Hispanic woman. And that Hispanic woman turns out to be the grandmother of Tuco. And Tuco is the crazy Latino drug gangbanger that uh, uh, that Heisenberg deals with at the beginning of Breaking Bad. Uh, who beats the crap out of Jesse and almost kills him. And all that. So Tuco's now there. Tuco's going to kill them for trying to pull this scam on them. Uh, Jimmy manages to lawyer his way out of it and he's like okay fine you know done with that but he tells them you know why he tried to do the scam and he explains the whole scam to them I'm going to scam you to do this right and Tuco's like uh, he gets away with it because one of Tuco's associates is called Nacho and Nacho recognizes that uh, realizes that Jimmy's telling the truth and so they let him go but then he goes up to Jimmy and goes yes I'm going to rob those people 
and I'll give you a finder's fee. You just tell me where. They've kept the money. And he's like, no. So he warns the family. The family stage their own kidnapping and disappear. Nacho gets arrested. Nacho says, if you don't get me off, I'm going to kill you. And so Jimmy has to now find these people. He finds, he talks to Mike. Because Mike works at the courthouse as a parking attendant, right? He talks to Mike. Mike, sa- Mike says, you know, criminals aren't that smart. Jimmy's kind of disappointed at how stupid criminals are. He, he finds them hiding out in the back garden, like on a camping trip with all the money. Uh, and he brings that back. And that's how he solves that situation. And Nacho's like, okay, I let you off. And now, from there, the show starts to build and build. Saul, uh, Jimmy's trying to find another case. He finds a case involving a retirement home that's screwing its customers, all its pensioners. He, he builds the case. He takes it to Hamlin and McGill, which is uh, his brother's law firm. The brother's law firm then take the case, but they won't let Jimmy work the case. And Jimmy's like, wait, what? I want to be a lawyer. Why won't you let me take the case? And it comes out that the reason he was never given a job at his brother's law firm and all that stuff was not because of the partner, but because his own brother doesn't believe he's a real lawyer. His own brother, Chuck, hates him. He's jealous of him. He can't stand him. So that destroys their relationship, okay, when he finds out that he's the reason he's been held back all this time, okay? And Chuck is like, you used to be a criminal and a con artist at the bailout all the time. You are not a lawyer. You will never be a lawyer. And so long as he draws breath, you will never work as a lawyer in any real meaningful way. So this causes a huge split in that family. Uh, and this co- costs uh, Jimmy's uh, best friend, Kim, her job there as well. So this co- makes Jimmy and Kim set up their own law firm, which they're going to do their own cases on. And uh, Kim gets in- into a battle with her old law firm run by Chuck and Howard. And so now Chuck and Howard and there's this battle thing. So Jimmy steps in secretly to forge documents to make it look like Chuck made a mistake. And Chuck uh, realizes that he's forged these documents, but he can't prove it. So then he sets a trap for Jimmy and uh, Jimmy confesses to the fact that he forged these things on a tape. But that's not admissible in court, but that's okay. He can get him disbarred for this. That's the whole point. He doesn't care about the case. He doesn't care about that. Chuck just wants Jimmy to not be a lawyer anymore. So then there's a trial for Jimmy and Jimmy exposes that oh I didn't say those things because they were true I said those things to make Chuck feel better about himself how can how why would I do that because my brother's crazy he thinks he's allergic to electricity and exposes the fact that Chuck is completely like mentally unstable he's not actually allergic to electricity it's all in his head by doing a trick uh, by planting electricity uh, a battery on him without him realizing it using Huel which was a huge plot point that Huel can drop things in people's pockets from Breaking Bad if you remember because he did that to Jesse and the ricin that whole plot point is how he exposes his brother on the law on the on the trial right and so once he exposes that Chuck has basically ruined his life and that he's mentally unstable, something Chuck didn't uh, believe was true, uh, Jimmy only gets suspended. He doesn't get disbarred. Um, and by the way, all the way through this, I'm thinking Jimmy's going to get disbarred. That's where he has to change his name to Saul Goodman, right? To pass the bar a second time as Saul Goodman. That's where he has to change his name. Hmm. No, he's still a lawyer as Jimmy McGill. He's just been suspended for a year. Chuck 
uh, as a result of this, gets kicked out of his own law firm because it's a, he's a debt. He can't work on cases anymore. They kick him out of his law firm, and so once he gets kicked out, he burns his own house down. And season three ends with him inside his house as it's burning, and you're wondering, is Chuck dead? That's half the show. Yeah, that that's all. So, that's that's just that's... Jimmy's story, right? With Kim, a bit of Kim thrown in there, right? The other half is Mike. So, uh, I pointed out how Mike gets involved in that story. Once he gets involved and it helps Jimmy out with the embezzlers, he kind of has his own storyline where he's trying to get money to look after his uh, daughter-in-law and his granddaughter. And so, he starts taking these sort of criminal jobs to help them out. And all he does is protection. He just does protection. So he walks like a bodyguard. There's this amazing scene where a guy hires three bodyguards and Pimento. Mike... Yeah, Pimento. That's yeah, it. The epi- yeah, it's like epi- called Pimento. Episode six or something, it's called Pimento. Yeah, he uh, beats the crap out of the other two bodyguards and does it all by himself without a gun. It's amazing. And so, so the Mike... Way, the, the guy, it's a small trivia, the guy he beats up and the guy that hires him are both characters from Grand Theft Auto Five. Really? Yeah. Oh. I recognise the, the guy he beats up. I recognise the voice, but the way he he moves and the way uh, he speaks. Yeah, that's cute. Uh, with, with obviously all motion captured, but then it was later brought to my attention the guy that hires him is the other guy from. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Um. So Mike gets involved with this, and that's how he starts getting involved with, um the the cartel the drug cartel that Heisenberg ends up being involved in because what happens is he does a couple of jobs with these guys they rob uh, the guy he was working for he tries to sort this all out and uh, in the process um, that that one of the things he has to do is uh, Nacho Nacho again comes back you see Nacho is involved in these deals okay. And Nacho is like talking to Mike and he realizes something about Mike and he goes, so here's the problem. My the my boss, Tuco, who we've already met, is crazy. And we know Tuco's crazy because from Breaking Bad and from earlier in the show. He goes, my boss is crazy and he needs to go. And he hires Mike to kill Tuco and Mike takes it. And then he decides he won't kill Tuco. He goes, I can't do it. And he goes, why? It's like, look, it's not smart killing Tuco. It's not gonna work, okay? It's just gonna cause more trouble you want Tuco put away, I can, I can do something better, I can put Tuco away. And he's like, how? Here's how. And he aggravates Tuco, okay, into uh, a fight. He calls the police, then aggravates Tuco into a fight. The police arrive, they arrest Tuco, Tuco has a gun on him, Tuco's going to go to prison. Okay, however, this gets the attention of Hector Salamanca, who's Tuco's grandfather, right? And Hector Salamanca is the guy in Breaking Bad who's on the bell. Ding, ding, ding who Gus hates, who's a bigwig at the cartel, who's an absolute stone-cold psychopathic killer, okay? And Hector goes up to Mike and goes, 50 grand to say the gun was yours, not not Tuco's, and Tuco walks, okay, as a result. And Mike's like, nope, not taking your money. So what does Hector do? He sends his cousins, the twins that attacked Hank, that Hank kills, he sends them after Mike's family, and they just stand there and, like, make finger gun type motions at his family so Mike is just like he's going to snap at this so he's getting really angry about this so he goes yeah fine okay I'll take I'll, I'll, I'll he's I mean you know, it's my gun whatever I don't know if Tuco had the gun he gets Tuco off but Mike's really upset about this so what does Mike do Mike robs Hector he robs one of Hector's trucks but in the process of robbing Hector's truck 
Um, the driver, he puts to one side, he ties him up and everything, and he goes. But a civilian, not involved in any of this, sees the guy by the road, helps the guy out, okay? Hector's people show up, they kill the civilian. So now Mike is like, he killed a civilian for no reason, that's it, I'm going to kill Hector. He goes to kill Hector by snipe, with a sniper rifle, and he finds uh, on his car he's been followed, and someone has written a message saying, don't. So now Mike is trying to work out who wrote the message. Who could have possibly known he was after it? And who does it turn out to be? Gus. And Gus does not want him to kill Hector. Why doesn't he want him to kill Hector? Because Gus has something else planned. So Gus now wants to get his fingers on Mike. In, in like, okay, I want Mike to do things for me. And at the same time, Nacho really wants Hector killed. Because Hector, and Tuco's now out of the picture, but Hector, he wants Hector dead because Hector wants to take over his dad's thing. And so Nacho is like poisoning Hector, which is probably how Hector's going to have the stroke because he hasn't had the stroke yet. So like, Nacho's trying to kill Hector. Gus doesn't want Hector to die. Mike wants to kill Hector, but has decided not to kill Hector for Gus. And, and that's for season three. Okay. So that's that. And there's more we can do, but... It, that's No, that's, that's the big not, beats. That's, that's the, the big, big beats. beats. Okay. It's not your shortest synopsis ever, but I'll take it because what you kept doing was touching on... Um, yes. The fact it's a prequel. Yes. So we mentioned before that we know the writers made a list of what they know. Yes. But as an audience member, we we have these ideas in our head, and this is why the show works. Right. So one of the reasons the show works so well. So yeah, let's talk about narrative drive. So yeah, what does anyone want? <laughs> Seriously, like, after what does Jimmy want? After episode one of Breaking Bad, and we did the pilot breakdown. Yeah. On this show, we did. Um, you know exactly what Walt wants. Yeah. And you don't realise the depths. And you know how he's going to get it. Yeah. You don't know the depths, but you do know what he wants. Like, okay, he wants to make enough money for his family. That's it. And then as it goes on, you start to realise, no, he doesn't. He's in the empire business, right? And, okay, fine. Uh, So you get that whole thing. Great. But you you get the spine of the show, which is, what's the show about? It's about a guy, a chemistry teacher, who's going to go full drug lord Scarface. Mr. Chips turns into Scarface. That's the premise of the... We got it. Aha. Better Call Saul. If you have not seen Breaking Bad, what is this show about? <laughs> you have no clue. I, I've just described... I described the two two shows. Yeah. That synopsis... You know, I did that whole thing, and it's like, that's, but that's Jimmy's story. And then you look at Mike. Mike has nothing to do with Jimmy. They've, there's no link between these two. They, um, they have two separate casts, they become, two separate stories. Yeah. They become Jimmy and Mike become slightly more intertwined, don't they? In season three, they've started to include a bit. Like he hires Mike. He hires Mike once or twice. That's it. Yeah. But fun. It's, it's, it's like it's, it's it's almost like those ep- those moments are there to remind you that they're two. They're the same show. Yeah. <laughs> you could. Li- it's it's just crazy that they're not really linked, right? And nor nor do they have to be. You look at Breaking not, Bad. Not, they're not. No, Mike works for Gus. Right, and Mike not, was just hired by Saul. And not only, not only that, but in Breaking Bad, you are watching this guy become a drug kingpin, and his motivations for doing it, or rather his excuses for doing it, are to make enough money for his family. Jimmy does not want to become Saul. Hmm. There's nothing in Jimmy that's like, yeah, I can't wait to become a. In fact, Jimmy is doing everything he can to not be Saul Goodman. He doesn't want to be Saul Goodman. He used to be Slippin' Jimmy. 
He doesn't want to be Slippin' Jimmy. He wants to be a proper, uh, legitimate lawyer. And at the end of season three, that's still all he wants. He has a law firm with Kim, and it's called and it's Wexler McGill. He doesn't want to be Slippin' it's Jimmy. It's funny, you know, like with with objects of desire, with yeah. with what does a character want? The the spine comes from that, and you realise that the character makes their way along the spine of a show. Yeah. You kind of get the sense that with, with, with Better Call Saul, he has this thing he wants dearly yeah. to become a lawyer and every episode is him being dragged further away from Yeah, f- pulled further and further. And at the same time, what's, what's wonderful is Chuck keeps saying, you can't help yourself, Jimmy. You can't help yourself. He's right. We know he's right because we know he ends up a Saul. But Jimmy desperately can't believe this. So what does Jimmy want? Like, what's his unconscious desire? Does he have one? What What does Jimmy actually want? I have thought about on, this, on the, and on, I can't. I... His conscious desire is clear. Legitimate lawyer. Yeah. Out of the slipping Jimmy business, be legitimate. Right? Get Kim. He wants to be with Kim. Yeah. Right? He's clearly in love with her. That's, that's a thing. Right? But why is he going to become Saul Goodman? What's in him that's pushing him to being Saul? Because when he's Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, that's not him being forced into it. That's him doing it. Yeah. So we're watching this and we're... I don't know yet. Mike, what does Mike want? What does Mike actually want? Mike wants to look after his family. Fine. He wants revenge on Hector. Fine. At this moment, what would compel Mike to be the guy who goes up to... Up to a, a guy who used to be a chemistry teacher and tell him, no half measures, and advocate killing a young man. Mm. He'd never do that. In fact, in this show, uh, he meets a kind of Heisenberg type character, right? He meets a Walter White, the guy he's a bodyguard for, who's just. Oh, sure, yeah. Right? He's like a Walter White type person. He just says to him, don't do it. Just walk mm. out. Get out of the business. Don't bother doing this. He just tells him, not, it's not worth it. With Walter, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, yeah, get out of the business. With Walter, he says, yeah, you've got to stay in, but you've got to get rid of that drug addict kid. He'd never advocate killing Jesse. This Mike would never tolerate it. Not in a million years. He's The whole reason he's with Gus at all is out of a sense of justice that you don't kill people who don't deserve it. He'd ne- what, so, what's Mike want? Really? And the show gets away with this because we know where they're going. We know what kind of people they really are deep down, but they're not even aware of this yet. Mm. So we're starting to see um, the we're starting to see this facade erode and who they really are coming out underneath. But they're so far away from it, and it's just like it, if you hadn't seen Breaking Bad, there's no way. I don't see how you could enjoy this show. It, you have it's. I mean, the only way if if Breaking Bad didn't exist, the only way Better Call Saul would be tolerable is if they had an opening that specifically showed you these scenes yeah. of who they are, and then cut back. So it's dramatic irony again, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, we we know where where. <laughs> but it's taken to a level I've never seen. Yeah, I've never seen this level of dramatic irony. We've never seen this before. No, not no this one is... has no one has ever used dramatic irony when the ending is so far away. Yeah. No one's ever done that. Five years away. Yeah, and the and not only that, the dramatic irony is that concrete. Yeah. We know exactly what happens and I've what kind it. of people they are. So it's not even just a hint. It's not a flash forward. It's not what it's. This is a. 
this is this is the whole fun of dramatic irony is expressing the hows and whys people do a thing the deep motivations whenever someone goes here's dramatic irony the promise that the audience is oh you're going to explain to me why this happened Mm. right because i know what happened so now you're going to really express why better call saul is going we are going to really get deep into these characters we are really going to express why and these characters are already like at a, at a, a level of I mean, it's I don't know I'm starting to I'm wondering if you sat down and count their dimensions how many dimensions how complex are these characters compared to Walt that's a that's a fair shout actually I'm, I I'm, don't know I'm not sure and I, I'm wondering if by the time this show is done unless something catastrophic happens to the quality um, I'm wondering if uh, we're not going to end up with the most complex characters ever written because Walt is the most complex character hmm. we've ever seen and so I mean he's more complex than Hamlet Hamlet only had four hours you know Walt had six he's, years he's more complex than Tony Soprano as well yeah and so I'm looking at these guys and already the nuance of these characters you know I talk, we said subtlety and elegance they don't have cancer as an excuse yeah this is this is getting really deep into who they are as, as characters and what we're learning about them and what we're seeing unfold just we, we mentioned this off mic uh, a, a lot of the criticism for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is it's too slow and we always uh, we, we, we balked at this because we Luke and I for McKee's lecture uh, on TV we broke down every episode of Breaking Bad it was this monumentous thing that <laughs> it took so long for us to do but we did it together and we broke the whole thing down um, and it's part of his lecture now um, but we broke that thing down and the first episode, we did this in the podcast as well, has two acts, right? There's no, it, this moves very quickly, Breaking Bad. Better Call Saul people go, it's even slower. But what I described to you about the embezzler and the slip and Jimmy and all that stuff is the first three episodes. That's the first three episodes of the show. I think the Nacho thing with him in prison, that gets resolved in episode four, I think, mm. at most. So it's not even the halfway point of the first season this huge plotline gets resolved. And I remember it taking, felt like a season-long odyssey. It wasn't. It was four episodes, right? So why do people think it's slow? And it comes down to how do you tell the story is progressing to or for, away from something? And it's, you have to know what the object of desire is. Once you, you know, know what the, the narrative yeah, is. Once they know, oh, they're trying to save the world. They're trying to steal, th- uh, uh, what was it, $11 million from, um, from Andy Garcia, right? <laughs> once you know what they're trying to do, you can kind of work out, ah, we're getting closer to it or not. You can also tell if you're having a scene that has nothing to do with that story. And it's a separate story. It's a subplot. Mm. And then it feels like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, I, I joke about this, but with Game of Thrones, like, what's the story about? Well, it's about the safety of Westeros. Bran, which is the kid who can see through wolves, has nothing to do with this story. So I can skip those scenes, right? It's that kind of thing. You can tell, oh, that has nothing to do with the story. This is progressing the story. This isn't... You get a sense of that. And so something feels slow when you can't tell if it's moving towards a conclusion. So Breaking Bad and Saul, at first, you can't tell where they're going, so it's hard to tell. Once you realise this is about Walt becoming Heisenberg, the speed picks up. But actually, it doesn't. We've proven this with maths. Yeah. Uh, With science. With science. 
But Better Call Saul, uh, it's even hard. Like, I can tell, like, oh, stuff happens every episode. Lots of stuff keeps happening. And at the same time, like, is this leading to him becoming Saul? I don't know. I keep coming to the it's phrase just... sandbox. It's sandbox it television. Is. What was the thing I was talking about? How um, you think uh, when Jimmy has the threat of being disbarred, I'm like, aha, that's why he calls himself Saul, because he needs to change his name because Jimmy McGill gets disbarred. That doesn't happen. Why was he dis- what, what? What was the point of this? <laughs> What's going on? I feel like... How, how are these events causing him to become Saul? How are these events causing him to become Mike? I don't know. Now I'm got a clue, but it's just so compelling. I can't get enough of it. But it's it's one of those wonderful. You know, uh, we did the podcast on um, Gone Girl, and Gone Girl doesn't have the um, that key scene. Um, oh, the core event. It doesn't. The core yeah, event. The, right? the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't um, and, and, expose the criminal. Yeah, and yeah. we we stressed so much that <laughs> the exceptions exceptions. I, think I know where you're going, and I hadn't considered this, but yeah, carry on. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, exceptions like that are just that. They are exceptions and there has to be a yeah. reason and a reason it works without that thing. It's not something you should strive to do. Right. And we were looking at Saul objectively like this and it's got no narrative drive and it's got no spine of action. How does that work? Not, not only that, I don't know what genre this is. <laughs> like, what core event are we waiting for? Right. Like with Heisenberg, he has to get exposed. Yeah. This makes sense. No idea. I have no idea. It, Saul isn't going to get exposed. That's not... Or he does, but in Breaking Bad. So... <laughs> right? And not only that, his entire supporting cast in Better Call Saul is not in Breaking Bad. So he can't be exposed to them. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Uh, and, and, and Mike? It's not a crime show in that sense. Is it? I don't know. It's going to be fascinating when it's finished because then it will make sense. Yeah. This is this is by the way a thing I will often point out, um, which is sometimes it's really like you're watching a show and people go, "Oh, what's this?" And they ask me to analyze. I'm like, "The show isn't over. How can I possibly tell you?" Sometimes it's clear. Oh, this is this kind of show. This is where this is going. But th- I don't know where this is. I don't know what... This hasn't finished. This is like watching the first 10 minutes of the film and being asked to explain, well, what's the ending going to be? I don't even know if we've hit the inciting incident. Have we hit the inciting incident of Medical Saw? I don't know. I just... I don't know where... The, the shape of this hasn't come about yet. And it's fascinating because it's still compelling because we do know the end. We do know how and where these characters end up. We just don't know why. And as it's almost, it's almost as if at the beginning they kind of—I don't think they would have made such a conscious decision. But it, it's almost as if at the beginning they went, "Well, hold on, people know where we're going with this, so um, we don't need all these things." We don't. They yeah. wouldn't have done. They would have sat down and just sort of felt what worked. Right, and and you meant, and you mentioned this about how they write. Oh yeah, so I, I wanted to make a big point of this. Um, uh, this there's two two things that the the writers of this show um, uh, do, and one of them is. I mean, we'll, do you want to get onto this a bit later? Yeah, we can get onto this a bit later. Yeah, I'll I'll come back to it. Let's talk just quickly then about the shows within shows. Well, yeah, we're talking about how we don't know where they're going. We this is a prequel. Yeah. And we don't know how, where they're going. <laughs> 
I don't think we should repeat this. But in a good way. We should repeat this. This is a prequel, and we don't know how it ends. It's a... What? So, we mentioned the cast. We know Jimmy ends up as Saul Goodman, and we know that Saul ends up in bed with uh, Heisenberg, and that as a result of this, he has to go on the lam, and he ends up a mayor, uh, the manager of a Cinnabon. And we also know that happens because... The uh, flash forward. There is a flash forward at the beginning of every season. Mm. It's black and white, and it's clearly set a few months after the events of Breaking Bad, where Saul is on the run. And in fact, season three ends with him passing out. Uh, he collapses, and so there's a good chance that he's going to. He has to keep a low profile. So season four, the, those flash forwards might start to become a thing. Mm. We, you know, th- this show might not end in two thousand five or two thousand seven. This show might go way past two thousand seven and all the way to the end of what happens to Saul after Breaking Bad. Yeah, it doesn't have to finish when Breaking Bad starts. Yeah, it doesn't have to stop with a knock on the door. My name's Heisenberg, right? It can go a lot further. <laughs> Famously, that's how they were introduced. That is it. Hello, I'm um, Mr. I'd, Heisenberg. I'd like to, see, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so we know, but, but we know Saul Goodman ends up there. We also know he's the kind of guy who is quite happy to help sell meth, right? Yeah, he's happy to take huge amounts of money from meth dealing. Uh, we also know that Gus is going to end up with half his face blown off. He's going to take over the cartel, kill everyone in the cartel. Then Heisenberg's going to kill him and take over his cartel, and then Heisenberg's going to die. Right, we know what happens to Gus. We know Mike ends up working for Gus as his fixer, assassin, uh, his right hand man, and we know that Walt ends up killing Mike. That after Gus falls, he and Mike go into business, and Mike wants out when uh, Heisenberg's uh, empire goes off the rails. So Heisenberg kills Mike. So we know that happens to Mike. We do not. We also know that Hector Salamanca ends up with a stroke. Ends up confined to a wheelchair that he can only communicate with ding 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 and we know that he blows up Gus and we know that Tuco gets shot by Hank did I I, did, I was trying to work out I'm trying to remember sorry if this was off mic or or, or on the first time we see Hector you didn't mention this now no, I didn't mention it on mic you did, you did. the first time we see we hear him first yeah, and we, it's in a cafe and he dings the bell on the counter. Yeah. And as soon as I heard that ding, I, I just, shit, this is Hector. Camera yeah. up, Hector Salamanca. I was like, just hats I, I, off. I didn't call that. I didn't, I didn't see that coming at all. So I was like, oh, is that that? <laughs> I did just because the, the, it, that bell it was, it great. was just so iconic. Yeah. Ding. Yeah, yeah, I went back and watched it after you told me. I went, oh, man, how did I miss that? Um, <laughs> but this is one of the things that they would have written down and go, what do we know? What do we know about Hector? We've right. This so, and so... so we know Hector ends up in a wheelchair. He ends up, he kills Mike. Uh, sorry, kills uh, Gus. We know that Tuco gets shot by Hank. We know that the cousins get shot by Hank. Uh, but what we don't know is what happens with Nacho. We don't know how Hector has his stroke. By showing us that he hasn't had his stroke yet in Medical Saul, we know he's got to... Here's the, every time they show us a character from Better Breaking Bad, like Crazy 8, we see Crazy yeah. 8, we see Ken wins, we see this. Whenever they show us a character from Breaking Bad, depending on how they choose to introduce them, they immediately tell us, we're going to show you something with this, right? So Hector keeps coming back and he hasn't had his stroke. They know the question we're going to ask is, how did he get the stroke? How did he end up in the wheelchair, mm. right? 
So now we're looking for clues for how this happened. How did this happen? And now Nacho is poisoning him. It's like, did Nacho, is Nacho the reason? For all we know, no. No, it won't be that. It won't be that. It might be. Based on the writing so far, my assumption is no, it won't be that. Yeah, because Saul hasn't changed his name for the reasons we thought or anything. So maybe it won't be that. We don't know. So, but we also know that Nacho isn't in Breaking Bad at all. I was going to say Nacho and Kim. And Kim isn't in Breaking Bad. Chuck isn't in Breaking Bad. Mm. Howard isn't in Breaking Bad. So somehow Jimmy has got to cut ties with all of them. Like Kim had a car crash. You're like, is she dead? No, she's not dead. Okay. Is Chuck dead? Season three ends with him burning his house down. Is he dead though? In Breaking Bad, is Chuck dead or is he in the hospital? No idea. So there's all these things where this show we know clicks into Breaking Bad, but we have zero idea on so much of this show how it's going to end. We know just enough to create a sense of drive to the show, but nothing more. It's, yeah, it's just it's, amazing. Dri- no, drive is the right word. It creates a sense of drive, just not necessarily that narrative drive from the, the spine of action, right? It's, it's like, okay, we know the destination, but we don't know how far away it is. We don't know how many stops there are along the way. We don't exactly know who in the car is going to be in the car when we get to that destination. We know only a couple of them definitely are going to be there. So, we, we okay, it's, it's like... Yeah, the, the the destination is at the other end of this giant forest. And I think who knows of, the route inside? I think thinking of it as a destination is... Um, I, I think that's archaic. These guys <laughs> are clearly some kind of alien species <laughs> that are far beyond our intellect. This is like the aliens in Arrival. They're, the they're heptapods. Commu- yeah, these are hep- heptapods. Talking of, in circles. Heptapods. They are writing in circles. Exactly. They have accessed some fourth dimension. It's a very strange and version of Arrival you've rewritten where Amy Adams goes, have you seen Better Call Saul? <laughs> and the aliens just go, circle. She goes, I think that means yes. <laughs> um, I, d- I wonder if it, because it's like this world, we know what the world looks like and they are shaping the world. Um, I mentioned Sandbox earlier, it's a Sandbox television. I feel like the writers of Breaking Bad are in the Sandbox with me and they're building yeah. some giant sandcastle. Yeah. And I know roughly what it looks like, I just haven't quite figured out. We know it involves sand. I know it involves sand. (laughs) Nothing else. (laughs) And every time they go to build something, it's like, I've never seen that before. Yeah, so, on to that. The originality. This show is so original. There's no cliches. No. There's none. You've never seen a scene in Saul in another show. No. And the reason they do that, so the two things I was going to mention earlier, the two two things that this writer's room does... Um, one, when they pitch an idea, they slap it down mm-hmm. and they keep going. The, the The room will keep pitching ideas to how to solve a particular problem. So how are we going to do this? Mm. How, um, like, how will Jimmy get disbarred or not? Dis- uh, something like that. You know, how are we going to solve this problem? And people will keep pitching ideas until they come across one that they have not seen before. Right. That's why they cre- cre- have created such an original show. So there's this there's this brilliant thing in season three where Mike is trying to work out how whoever it was that wrote the message don't on his windshield tracked him down. Oh yeah, I was yeah, I was yeah? gonna come to that example. Yeah, I thought that's where you're coming, so yeah. yeah. No, go for it. So the how how do they track him down? 
And they come up with this ingenious idea. We've I've never seen this before. Mike has never seen this before. What's right? that? What it's? He's trying to find the tracker on his. He's car, trying to. He, he realizes he has. There has to be a tracker on his car. There's no other way, right? So what does he do? Such a great he scene. takes the track. He takes the car to a junkyard and proceeds to strip the entire car down to its nuts and bolts to find the tracker, and he can't find it. And then he... I, lo- I loved what that expressed about Mike's character. Yeah, as like how meticulous, right. and smart he is. And there's no dialogue in this scene. Yeah, in this whole Just sequence, him stripping a car. We're talking about this in Logan about character and action being expressed through action. Yeah. right. You know who Mike is by how he takes apart a car, and also his thinking process of how he was being tracked. How did they? You know, as soon as he sees that note, his thought. The actor is brilliant, Jonathan Banks. It's like okay. I've been tracked. How have I been tracked? And you you can see his thought. He doesn't need to tell you or speak or do anything. You know that's what he's thinking. This is why he's thinking it. Blah, 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 blah. And you just crack it because everything he does makes perfect sense. So you're watching Mike do all these things and you're getting invested because you have to do a little bit of work to keep up. It's not like it's confusing. It's really clear. It's just that it's not spoon feeding. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference. And the way they do that, and so you start seeing the genius in it, because you start thinking like Mike's taking the car apart. Where could? Where's the tracker? How did they find him? What's going on? And then Mike, he's always just a step ahead of you, right? Mike walks through. He sees that you can buy um, gas. Uh, what do you call it? Petrol tank uh, caps. The, the 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 cap the discs the caps that you use to close your. Ca- he sees that and he goes, "Do you sell them for my kind of car?" And they go, "Yeah." And he goes and he takes the petrol cap that he just chucked to the floor, opens it, and there's the tracker. And like they put the tracker in the cap of the petrol tank. And you're just, not in the petrol tank, in the cap that you always unscrew and take out. And that's where they put it. And you go, ah, that, that's like Mike's a cop and he's never seen that. It's not, it's not only brilliant on the part of the the guys that did it yeah it's brilliant from mike to it's even more brilliant from mike to figure it out yeah and that that's something they did in breaking bad as well that those were some of my favorite bits when walt gets super smart yeah backed into a corner yeah um and there's a point where his intelligence comes through and he figures out a really yeah different solution to the problem yeah. because he's so smart and those when are Mike traps st- uh, straps into the radiator yeah how does he do that one he he, cr- he basically makes a bomb oh yeah, yeah he yeah, kind yeah. of blows up the, yeah. it's just like he does this whole ridiculous thing with electricity and creates a fire and I was like what I, my favourite my favourite bit is the bit I think um, it's the end of season three where they shoot Gale yes and he's there they're about to kill him and he says like just let me call Jesse Jesse uh, as soon as he gets them on the phone, says, "I've like, got them." Yeah, do it. Do it. And it's just like, wait, what did you do, Walter? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can kill me now. And it's just like, what? Um, um, and that's one of the one of those bits. And the yeah. other thing the writers' room do is they don't waste anything. So when they were writing Breaking Bad, when things cropped up that might be useful later, they would squirrel them away and use them. Right. So they knew that there was spare rice in for years for example oh in Breaking Bad in Breaking oh. Bad so there, there there was ricin that went missing and they knew they had this 
set this this kind of bullet that they could use later on. Yeah, and so they're just waiting for when so they're just waiting. Now the great the beauty of Medical Saul is they're armed with so many bullets from Breaking yes. Bad, so many things that they can drop in at any point. But as they're going along, you still get the sense that they're, they're making more as well. They're making more, and not not only that, but the, what's interesting about it is it then it's not the same as just winging it because as no. soon as you make a point, we set up. That rice, that rice, and it needs to get paid off. And you have that discipline of we're not going to, you know, everyone pitching until we find something we've never seen before. Mm. Your mind is now primed. The creative mind is primed to solve that problem. And so you're just patient and you wait until you find the solution. Uh, and it's one of those things where, that you, people don't get. This is why one of the reasons I hate sort of deadlines uh, for creativity because. It takes time sometimes to solve the problem properly. And the most horrible thing is when you look back and go, oh, I have a much better payoff. Mm. And sometimes it's just like, it's because people forget setups. They forget why they made that setup in the first place and so on. So they have this thing, but it makes it much harder, by the way. It makes it so much harder to set something up and then, but without having a payoff in mind. It's so much harder. Um, and it's and it's and when I say it's so much harder, I don't mean that like oh that's a good thing that you've yeah people should it's like no it's so much harder and you probably don't have the talent. <laughs> like this is a room of writers yeah working at the top level. They've changed the industry standards. Yeah. Right. Saying oh yeah I'll just I'll write this is the you know it's like yeah you you can't set yourself the handicaps they have. Because you don't have the talent it's to not, reach that. Should also you know what I mean? stress, it's, 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 it's not... It's I, not the same as... Um, it's also not the same as saying, oh, by the way, there are 12 Cylons. We don't know who they are. <laughs> and then... Make, Our Galactica. And then, <laughs> and then making up the solution. This is, this is people at the top of their game creating something that they can use later on. Yeah, exactly. It's like we've... I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when they came up with the rice and they had a dozen different ideas of how to use it. Yeah, I'm assuming that's... Uh, but none of them... Do. They But even if you ask them, they're well, we didn't know in the sense that they weren't certain which they were going to use. They just yeah. already had ideas that they... They knew they weren't going to use them, but they were... They were they had the beginnings of ideas. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Which is how this kind of thing works. And um, it's not like... Um, I can't. I was going to mention Attack on Titan, but I can't because uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, we can't do that. So the, the whole, <laughs> the whole point of this, therefore, um, is that Breaking Bad for for Better Call Saul is one big fat creative limitation. Yeah, this was something we were trying to work out what holds this. You know, what's the rug for this podcast? What ties it all together? Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, and Luke cracked it with uh, the phrase "it's a giant creative limitation." He's just he's absolutely right. Um, and you mentioned this as well with uh, Breaking Bad, which was you know when they put themselves into that corner. Yeah. Like one of the joys of Breaking Bad as well is they didn't cut through time. So if Heisenberg got into a situation, they had to get him out. They couldn't yeah. just go. Well, you know, we got him out. Uh, it's been a year. Of course, he's fine now. <laughs> which is that that old sort of trick which is just like we're going to cut time out so that we don't have to explain how we got out of a situation or whatever so we don't have to write it yeah exactly so Breaking Bad was really Breaking Bad is one of the most disciplined shows I've ever seen and part of that is that creative limitation of Walt's in the situation right we have to now work out how to get Walt out of this situation hmm. and they did 
They did a precursor to Better Call Saul in the last seasons of Breaking Bad when they opened with Walt with a machine gun in his car and they weren't sure why Walt was in that situation. Mm. Um, They weren't sure about it, but they knew, okay, this is where we want to go. We just have to work out how he gets there. Yeah. And they built things around it. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. And so Saul is that taken to an enormous extreme because the creative limitation, as you quite brilliantly called it, is they can't violate what is perhaps one of the most successful television shows ever made. They can't violate Breaking Bad. Huh? And Beloved as well. They can't violate Breaking Bad. There's nothing... They cannot do anything in Better Call Saul that will cause Breaking Bad to be wrong. And one of the craziest things I've noticed when you watch Breaking Bad now is how little Saul and Mike are in it and how Mm. much you're like, there's a whole world... Heisenberg's not involved in that's almost more compelling <laughs> this is well yeah this is why I think they're not going to start with hello I'm Mr Heisenberg I'd like to yeah. make cash monies it, it, there's all kinds of things because they're even through Breaking Bad yeah there's the rest of this world exists now yeah there's all kinds of things going on in the back like we've yeah. seen a lot of what Gus is up to with Mike yeah but we know what Saul's been up to he's kind of a really tertiary character when you think about it yeah, and but the thing is, as as you're saying, this they can't violate certain aspects of Breaking Bad. So as a result, they have to work and create the most original scenes to get there, because they're in a situation that's never been done before. No one's ever had to write a prequel to Breaking Bad, <laughs> right? So as a result, the the limitation imposed on them is insanely difficult to solve but the solutions by their very nature will be character and world specific and original because they have to be yeah um, well they don't have to be it could be a terrible show yes it could be a terrible show but <laughs> I mean it, I, we, I, I can't imagine how hard these guys I work I don't know how they do it to make it this good I, I'd love to it's be insane just sit there and just be like huh uh-huh. I have an idea what if I don't know why we southern uh, I have an idea what's your idea Bass what if we gave Saul lung cancer he fired <laughs> you know, it's just like I got nothing else I got nothing <laughs> cashing in my chips okay <laughs> kid pictures what you got rice in get out <laughs> that would be it exactly jeez um I don't know how they. I don't, I don't know how it's just the, okay. Well, the let, discipline and everything. Let's let, let's. Wrap. So my my okay. I was gonna say let's wrap this up. Okay, so what do we take? Right, what do we take? Yeah. My feeling is, as I was saying, you know, okay, they've put themselves at this stupid, stupidly high standard. You're not good enough. Don't try. Okay, <laughs> uh, but uh, by the same token, what you do take away is simply you take away that principle but just not to such a ridiculous extreme, okay? <laughs> Which is, don't... <laughs> you want to create creative limitations for yourself, okay? And force yourself to do original things and things that people haven't seen before and to really get to the depths of your talent. That's what you want to do, okay? What you don't want to do is create a creative limitation so stupidly powerful and complex that it takes a team of the best writers in television to solve... That's not what you want to do, okay? You that you don't want to do that because you probably can't. But go for it if you want. Maybe, maybe, whatever. Jeez. But, you know, anyway, but that's my, my point is creative limitations, that's how you make originality. That's it the forces point. you. 
it forces, it forces you can't you, you can't not you ha- unless you want to just be rubbish yeah. that's what you want to do you want to try and create um uh, characters that act a specific way so that you then make original choices for how they behave in situations I, you want to make a world that's what no i was laughing because i remembered the tweet i read the other day and when i read it i immediately texted you um and it's just, it's just it's relevant here which was um uh, a writer um uh, basically um, disparaging outlines and oh, saying yeah. I, I don't create I don't use outlines for my writing because I feel it limits my creativity oh yeah yeah, you sent me that text um, uh, yeah yeah, that was the rage inducing it just it, it worries me and worry is a, is a very soft word to use in this because well, I just think ha- how how well, this is you... well, well, how do you how do you think I feel with like the action book supposed to come out and all I'm seeing are Hollywood blockbusters where everyone is acting in a green screen but separate green screens and no one's talking to each other and they haven't written the script I'm just like well the trend at the moment the the current thinking at the moment is the antithesis of everything I'm saying so who <laughs> wants to read that book do you know what I mean it's like if someone when someone says to you yeah I don't believe in outlines well then this entire podcast may as well be on the trash heap for all I care <laughs> like you you will not listen to any of this and I encounter it a lot of the time particularly with writers but in almost every form of art with the exception of music I guess where people just resent the idea that they have to learn yeah so you have to learn. So like, oh, I don't want to do outlines that restricts my creativity. You don't even know what being creative is. There's no scientific, philosophical, no book ever written on creativity suggests that creativity comes from just the blank page. It's never... I can't think of a single scholar who would agree to it's that. The, <laughs> It's where it comes from if you're being poetic about it. Oh, yeah. it just came to me. That's it. I it's just, it's just, it it's just this sort of like the muse. Yeah. But like Aristotle didn't believe this. So it's just, it's just one of those things where it's just, I don't, I don't know how. It's, it's a thing that's, it's happening recently, and people really take it to heart. And I think I fundamentally think, uh, it's the easy. It, the reason people do it is so they never, they don't get judged. How can you judge someone if there's no standard by which to mm. judge them? How can you judge your choices if there's no standard by which you can judge them? Uh, and so you don't do your outline. You don't do this. You do everything you can to free your creativity. And what that really means is I want to be in a situation where every idea I come up with, I can do and no one can tell me no. And I have an insulated defense mechanism against any criticism. And to me, it's just like, you know, I just—it's just like you want—you want to make better work. You want mm. to get better, and you can't get better unless you think about these kind of things. And a good break way, it down. a good exercise, which we have mentioned on the podcast before. Um, obviously, Saul and Breaking Bad had a team of writers, a team of the best television writers. Mm. And when you're writing on your own, it's incredibly hard to. Um, to to be original and to try and think of creative solutions to problems you set your characters, um, but the mm. one to ten exercise where you just yeah. you make a list as it, it's so so useful because you force all the bad ideas out of your head yeah. and you dig deep and you force all the stupid surreal ideas out of your head yeah. and the act of writing it down actually takes it out of your head. When Je- when Jason and I write, when <laughs> when we have a really bad idea for one of our sketches or, mm. or a script, we say, "I'm saying this to get it out of my head." Yeah. 
So the other, so the other person knows that, it's not a serious that's projection. What, that's what the South Park guys do, remember? Dummy yeah. idea, dummy idea, and then they say the thing. And unfortunately, one time they went, "Okay, dummy idea, crab people." And they tried to come up with something else, and they couldn't top crab people. <laughs> so crab people became the, the the thing behind what was going on in that episode. And so every now and again, crab people show whenever whenever the show is getting to an absolutely ludicrous, absurd situation that they can't get out of. They go crab people, crab people, the crab people, crab people. But they do that thing of dummy idea, and it's, it's an understood aspect of 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 writing, which is just you throw every idea out. You keep doing it until you find the best idea. And even once you find the best idea, you keep going because you keep trying to find something else just because you want to make sure it's the best idea. How do you make sure it's the best idea? By comparing it to your other ideas. And then so why do you write an outline? You write an outline so that before you sit down and write your story, you've made all the choices that you need to make. You make once... It's like you have levels of choices, right? You make the choices of the foundation then you make the choices of the walls and make the choices of, you know you, you make different choices you don't you know you don't start painting the wall before you've built the foundation you might have an idea of what the colours of the wall will be but you don't start mm. right you don't paint the bricks before you've set them right mm. that doesn't make any sense so um, it's just one of those things where it's like you build your outlines you force yourself these limitations to make the best writing you can and to be the most creative um, and it's just, I mean, it's understood. This is understood in every field. People know that the best solutions come under the most pressure. Scientists, engineers, mechanics, they never, <laughs> like, they never sit down and go like, well, man, I'm going to come up with something. Let's put, and like, they just sit there thinking they, mm. they have like specific things they have to work off of reality the laws of physics or whatever they have to work off certain things so it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen you know anyway <sighs> okay that's creativity for you <laughs> so yeah creative limitations basically come up with some limitations basically I suppose the best advice we can come up with is write uh, the best television series ever then write a prequel to it and try and solve that that's, Go. That's some. Uh, here first. Good. And also, if you could credit Bass with the idea when you receive your twenty Emmys. This is like when Top Gear review a supercar. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it costs this much, and it does this. Like, no one watching this show can afford your supercar. What advice do you have for us today, Bass and Luke? Well, once you've finished writing an Emmy award-winning, industry-changing television series, <laughs> and you want to write a prequel about it, here's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> 